0: Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes.
1: Gambling, pornography, pesticides. I've always been interested in earning money. It's either capital growth or income. they are very millennial to try and commodify everything in our lives. A lot of the comms in finance has been very blokey for a long time.
0: Do you think financial comms are transforming? Why not be part of the conversation? How is he invest doing this? How are you guys bucking the trend? If only the dudes are influencing where the money goes. I'm not cool with that. Really amazing things can happen. They're going to make bank. I have a friend who hates shares, and when I asked why, he said, well, gentlemen prefer bonds. While defensive assets, particularly as an overall part of your portfolio, are so important, they don't seem to be getting the sexy, exciting treatment as perhaps cryptocurrencies, though that excitement does come with different levels of risk exposure. We thought it was about time on Big Swinging Stocks to get someone who was fun and exciting in to talk about defensive assets. Not just bonds, apparently, but a whole wide world of active, defensive, and even hybrid investments. So, a la Ariel, let's stretch our sea legs and welcome our guest. This lady luckily loves talking actives and defensive investments. Please welcome to the show, social media extraordinaire, for Australian brokerage, e-invest, Jodie Peterson. Welcome. Thank you
1: for having me. And what an intro. I'm actually blushing. That was very kind.
0: (laughs) And, you know, you do give me aerial vibes. I mean, you don't have red hair, but it's just that, you know, delightful. uh, Anyway, I'm so excited to talk to you about this because I feel like actives and defensives don't get enough love. And it's a nice counterpoint to kind of the, I don't know, marketing that has kind of proliferated the really strong messaging around passives and also about offensive assets and just everyone trying to beat the alpha and all sorts of kind of things. So. As we do with all our guests, we'd like to start with a personal question. What is your first investing or finance memory?
1: It sounds, it's pretty lame, but when I was in high school in year 12, I was the last year that did the the P&O Schoolies Cruise and I saved up all my money for the whole year to pay for the Schoolies Cruise and I deliberately put it in like a high interest account. Is that like Kentucky? It's like, imagine the P&O cruises that you see in the in the harbour, Sydney yeah. Harbour, but it was only for 17 and 18-year-olds oh and we went to New Caledonia. Oh,
0: that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it was fun. And you put it into a high-interest account. I think they stopped doing them because they had too many lawsuits. I mean, there would
0: be some crazy yeah. things that would have, got, <laughs> would have happened.
1: Oh my goodness. And you put it into a high-interest savings account. I put it up. I saved up all my money, like I was working in retail, like like lots of high school students, and I saved up all my money throughout the year, and I specifically put it in a high interest account, and then I held off, like because I'd reserved the, um, the cruise with the travel agent, but I didn't have to pay for it like until many months later. So I like deliberately like held off paying it until the last day, so I could like maximize the interest oh that my I got. God, look at you, um, little. Investor. I think it was only like five dollars. Doesn't matter. Five dollars like, for you. <laughs> I felt really smart at the time.
0: You even had like cash (laughs) flow planning at 17. I don't even think I knew what a high interest. Oh, I'm so impressed with you. That's a really good one. And do you feel like obviously a natural saver from a young age? Is that, you know, that influence of finance leads you to working in client management and in the financial services industry?
1: Yeah, like I think like, I mean, I've always been interested in earning money like I know that sounds like I, I was, I ever since I was really young, I was, as soon as I could start working, I always did. I'd work all through my school holidays and I'd save up all my money and I'd, I'd buy stuff with it. Like, <laughs> you know, like cool sunglasses or whatever. Um, one time I saved up all my money to, oh uh, my during God. one school Classic holidays LA to get 2000s. my belly button Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> when <laughs> yes. you're 15 years old, that seems like a really good idea. But my mom was really strict about it. She's like, no, I'm not, I'm not paying for that. You've got to go to, to work you've got to save the money and you're not going to go get it done at some like really cheap clinic like you have got to go to the the medical center and you're going to get a doctor put it in for you and so you've got to like save up the money for all of that and that was my goal one one summer (laughs) in high school but in terms of like how is that how did I end up in finance like it was a realization that finance touches everything yeah money touches everything and it really influences how our whole world kind of works and um, I've always found that really interesting so i wanted to be involved in the industry and it's also one of these these recognitions that um like particularly with australian superannuation system like australia is the third largest mm-hmm. pension fund industry that includes, yeah. like, we call it superannuation but most p- countries call it pension funds We're the third largest pension fund industry in the world mm-hmm. in australia third or fourth depending on how you measure it and i was like Hold on. What are we like third True. or fourth it's in Punching above
0: our weight, in the world.
1: Us Aussies. Yeah. <laughs> just fine
0: mining. Yes. Well, we've got to find yeah. something new, right? Yeah. With, <laughs> the way the world So
1: I, I kind of, well, I just think like, for me, I think that's actually really mm-hmm. exciting. That's a huge opportunity for Australia as a country and, um. I just saw it as an attractive place to work. I think it just felt natural to me. Oh,
0: it's incredibly insightful, really, that you recognise that at such a like early age of your career. I don't think a lot of us think of the world in that way until it kind of twigged like, wait a minute. It's like that Homer Simpson meme where he's like, I want peanuts. And then his brain's like, you can use money to buy goods and services, including peanuts. Because we don't talk about it at school, but I think it's incredibly interesting. But let's say alternate universe, you weren't working at e what would you be doing? Any job in the world.
1: Oh, my God. I'd love to be a florist. Oh, my God. I have a so... very strong creative <sighs> side.
0: Out of I thought you were going to say something if, finance adjacent, but I kind of love that.
1: No. Like before I studied finance at university, I actually studied um, like costume and clothing production at TAFE. And um, I was, I've always been really interested in theatre. And, yeah, I can like sew and make hats and stuff. And I did that oh for God. a couple of years. But I realised there's like no money in that. Um, and you know, I also realized that, um, when you, like, that was the kind of thing I do as a hobby, but when you start making your hobby, your career, it kind of ruins the fun. Mm. So I did a pivot, went into business and finance, and now I just indulge my hobbies outside of work. And that's like a much better, better thing for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's very millennial to try and commodify everything in our lives. And I think it's nice to just have non-monetized interests that are just there to make things fun for you but I do feel like you do flex your creative muscles a lot because you run invests instagram and I'm a personal fan, but you do these weekly quizzes and I think you have changed the communication style and I think you're the only brokerage actually on Instagram and your communication style is really interesting. I want to talk about that a little bit because you write articles like May the 4th Be With You, The 5 C's of Han Solo's Credit. You do these weekly quizzes. Do you think financial comms are transforming and do you think the industry is slowly kind of having a reckoning about how it communicates with its audiences or is it just you guys being special and awesome?
1: Well, I think we definitely have a view at eInvest that like the financial services industry sucks at communicating generally. Um and um and like you know I th- we think that we have a lot to learn from Industries outside of finance. So when I'm looking for inspiration, when I'm looking um, you know, at other businesses that do communications well, I don't look at the finance industry. And I think we've like, as an industry, we've been so um tunnel focused in the way we communicate, particularly I think also because there's so much tight regulation um around financial comms for very good reasons. But I think I think it's actually important that we look outside of finance. So
0: Where do you look for inspiration? Other business, fashion,
1: love fashion. I love what they do. Um, Love looking at art. Like I'm really into art more broadly and I get a lot of inspiration from like art around me um, and artistic things that I do. I have um, a cool post that I'm planning at the moment that's related to art. Um, But in terms of like why we communicate this way, I think it's like and why we're embracing social media, it's like, this is how people communicate. Like this is where people's eyes, eyeballs are at. Mm. Like I've always, I'm always so impressed yeah. with the Instagram community of how engaged everyone is. I'm like, this is awesome. I want to be part of this conversation. Like why not be part of the conversation? Mm. Um, but apparently yeah. that's like, like other place, other investment managers, because we're more of an investment manager than a broker at e-invest. But um, you know, like other places wouldn't do that. Wouldn't go on Instagram live. Wouldn't like, Play around with silly, silly articles
0: about the force, the five C's of credit with Han Solo. Uh, it's not for me. It's not rocket science. No, and I think, look, as a lawyer, I think there's a lot to be said for the marketing communications and risk and compliance teams working together to kind of formulate comms a lot better and making sure that it's still fresh and up to date and actually is doing its job of informing audiences rather than just, you know, I think regulatory. Requirements are a threshold and we should be exceeding them with the way we communicate and trying to do even better of informing people about what they're buying. But Absolutely. let's talk a little bit about e-invest specifically. Sure. e is exclusively in actives and a very curated portfolio of funds as well. Let's start with the first question. What on earth is an active? What does that mean? Sure. So we
1: we fake we cre- only create active ETFs. So I'm assuming some of your listeners are familiar with ETFs now, exchange traded funds, portfolios mm-hmm. of securities that you can buy and sell as a whole portfolio um, on the exchange. Um, the ETF world has been dominated by like index tracking. ETFs so like you know you might be familiar with ones that track the S&P 500 or the ASX 200 that's been the dominant type of ETF that the majority of people invest in but a couple of years ago um, some technical changes in the industry allowed active ETFs to be created and einvest was one of the first to bring like a suite of poor, a suite of active ETFs out. And so what active ETFs out are, instead of creating a portfolio that's uh, mimicking an index, we have a a team of portfolio managers that are actively choosing what sits in that portfolio and choosing what goes in, what goes out, and managing that portfolio to like a, a specific goal or outcome. So we're not trying to just mimic the market, we're, we're trying to achieve some type of goal or outcome. So we rely upon the, the expertise of like professional investors and these are the guys that also manage like huge portfolios for the largest super funds in the country and also like big kind of um, – big institutional investors overseas. And what we saw is that there's some pockets of the market where active managers, so like having professionals involved, managing that money instead of just copying an index really adds, makes sense and adds value. You know, we know this because that's the way the institutions invest.
0: I love what you say about there are sections of the market where this makes sense and this can add value. And I think Are there particular industries that you can give as an example or even types of active ETFs that might illustrate that for everyone? Absolutely.
1: That insight on those decisions that we think where active management makes sense is what has informed the portfolio of active ETFs that we issue. So we're only really issuing them where we think we can add value with the idea that most investors will probably already have a passive ETF portfolio and they're just looking for some Extra elements to solve specific problems. So, um, a really good example, and there's a lot of studies that that back this up, is that in the small cap space, act, you know, active management, so having like professional portfolio managers managing that can add a lot of value. There's a number of like reasons why that is the case, but small caps are so like smaller companies that um you may or may not have heard of not the big ones like the big bhps or the um you know the big banks or anything like that much smaller companies on the stock exchange they um don't have receive the same amount of research and press coverage and kind of just general interest as say Woolworth's big announcement last week and they don't have this number of brokers covering it and information on these companies is a lot harder to get but also these companies are usually smaller they're earlier on in their their cycle in terms of where they are their growth trajectory so they're still at the earlier stages of their 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 life cycle and what their financial statements might have said last year may not be representative of where they are right now because they're growing. It's kind of all those different elements that mean that having a professional team that actually like dig into all those details um, and really do the research that other people are, are not doing allows them to be able to understand these these companies better than the average Joe Blow and create portfolios that, you know, where they think they'll outperform over time. So um, small caps, there's lots of opportunity for that just because there's just more air to breathe. There's more, like there's about 2000 companies listed on the ASX and it's a very skewed graph. So um, the top 100 are huge. And then after that, yeah, they get there's a else. long tail of small companies. Yeah. And that small, that long tail of small companies, that's the interesting picking ground where you can find opportunities. So the um e-invest better future fund under the code IMPQ is kind of focuses on that smaller end. Um and there's you know the team that manage that are you know they also manage big portfolios for large super funds and large um, even sovereign wealth funds in the small cap space that's you know it's you need a lot of resources to do that properly
0: so that's one type of area where e-invest sees there's a lot of value in active management i want to talk about one of your newer etfs newer i recognize it launched last year but you launched a hybrid bond etf now i remember talking to you the talking to you about this last year and I think hybrids are fascinating and not well known enough can you explain what a hybrid bond is and also a little bit about how different market conditions like the one we're in now might be better suited to some of the hybrid products that you guys have and how why that is absolutely so hybrids are fascinating
1: um they're what they are is they're kind of a combination between a share and a bond. They have elements of both, um, and they're issued. You often issued by banks, but also other companies, to really target they're – they're, there's kind of like tax efficiencies and operational efficiencies in them issuing these specific types of securities that have both of these elements. Um, we know there's a lot of regulation around banking in terms of how much you know cash and all their holdings, and all these different levels they've got to keep, and hybrids are a really interesting way for them to manage that. Um, so they've got similar elements to both – bond and a share so they they offer coupon payments usually just like um, a bond but then there's also market conditions where they'll switch and become a share so um these they're really they're very complex um, they're complex stuff. And this is where, again, active management, having people who actually read, like the the, the, the paperwork behind a hybrid bond is insane. <laughs> and understand and it, more there's people, But luckily there's there's a team of people down there who actually read all that stuff mm. really closely and then they use, they really understand what the elements of each hybrid are designed to do. I don't know if you can do this in a passive way. I feel, feel like you really need people actively understanding the hybrids, mm. each individual hybrid security and what they do. But in terms of the role they pay in an investor's portfolio, they're very popular with income focused investors. So often investors who are probably not our age, a bit older, who are, in, who are really looking for that income to supplement um, their lifestyles, you know, once they hit retirement age or around that time. Particularly Australian hybrids are also popular by that audience because they do often sometimes Offer franking credits, um, which, again, is a tax-effective form of income if you're in that retirement kind of zone.
0: But equally, I think so many young investors are so focused on the next big growth ETF or even the next big growth share or company that it might be something to consider as part of an overall portfolio because if everything you're banking on is just intended to, you know, 10x, You're not necessarily going to get dividends from those companies. And it maybe might be something to consider as, you know, rounding out the portfolio and also rounding out the risk, because obviously hybrid bonds would sit at a very different risk threshold to the likes of a small cap. You know, a small cap ETF would be a bit different. But if you're just investing in kind of like penny stocks on their own, there should always be like a bit of a bell curve to your portfolio around having different types of things and, you know, for them to target different types of risk exposure, but also goals like hybrids are going to give you potentially income, other fixed, in, fixed income products are going to do a similar type of thing, but they're also going to be a very different return, very different risk exposure. So it's kind of thinking about, can it add a bit of flavor to an overall meal, which should be balanced. I,
1: I like the meal approach because it's so true. I feel like, um, you know, in the, on the online space where you and I, you know, we interact, there's so much focus on like investing in like the next
0: Tesla stock and 10Xing, yep. which I'm not a huge fan of. I'm kind of, yeah, because I like the example, right? I talked about this a while back is Apple used to be a penny stock, used to be 80 cents on the stock market. But there are thousands of companies that trade for that amount and then go under or collapse or never go above 80 cents. They just stay there their whole lives. Whereas, you know, the few that do, the odds are not, like not in their favour. Absolutely, And I think,
1: um That's like to only focus your portfolio on just like trying to get those big, big swinging stocks to name it. Big swinging stocks? Um, Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, But the reality is, is that like, I think to only focus your portfolio just on that type of investment is not. Really a diversified portfolio in, in my view. And Mm. so, yeah, adding different elements. I think a lot of people kind of forget that return. There's two main sources of return. It's either capital growth or income. Mm -hmm. And Mm. maybe we need to talk more about income especially right now.
0: I think we do. Even just to to raise its profile, you know, like I like the mill analogy because we don't all eat the same things and we don't all need the same kind of proteins, fats and carbs. We're all different people. And so different people have different portfolios, different goals, whatever. But as market conditions change and we move into a bear market, think about how your portfolio is structured and is it giving you an advantage like in different times where growth isn't necessarily going to be as evident, especially if you're tech heavy like a lot of young investors would be but change of pace you're a woman in finance sure. a bit of a unicorn yourself <laughs> i know invest is pretty unique actually in the amount of female portfolio managers you have how is invest doing this how are you guys bucking the trend um
1: well invest was founded by camilla love a woman and then i was employee number 2 so i think it, i think it helps when so it was
0: 100% female
1: for a very long time. 100% female, <laughs> exactly. Um, look, it's a lot more balanced now. But um, Camilla and I both really care about this as an issue. Like, I feel like if, again, going back to how I view finance as it, it this power that touches all of us, if only the dudes are influencing where the money goes, I'm not cool with that. I want to see more women be, being involved in that flow. It's pretty basic
0: just not cool with only a certain type of demographic making decisions especially like you know cuz a lot of uh, ultimately these decisions would be about our superannuation and women have superannuation
1: absolutely
0: everyone in australia um, has superannuation don't so the industry
1: stats on women in fi- in, in uh, superannuation crazy. yeah crazy but yeah no, like, it's something <laughs> that um you know we care a lot about and so um, of course, there's me on the, on the invest side in terms of the, the team members. There's me and Camilla and Anna, but then also in the portfolio management side of the 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 portfolio managers who actually run the money and the the active ETFs. Mm. Um, our our you know the one that you and I talk about a lot, IMPQ, um, which is our Better Future portfolio. That is heavily dominated by well, actually it's it's a mixed team, but um, Emily O'Neill who's the co um, head of ESG and por- and portfolio manager. She is an absolute gun and very influential in that portfolio and also really influential in just like driving strategy for us in um, when it comes to attracting women. But the way it involves my role is that I really think that a lot of the comms in finance has been very blokey for a long time
0: mm. and
1: I try and be a little bit more inclusive with the way I speak, when I speak through eInvest's voice, so to speak, um, because especially in the younger audiences, we're seeing a big shift with a lot more women getting involved in investing for the first time. And, um, like, I want to welcome them.
0: Come hang out with us. And I think that accessibility comes through. Like, it's, it's evident in the comms you guys put out, and it's obviously working. But speaking of IMPQ... What a little star. So your Better Future Fund won Green ETF of the Year in 2021 and you were runner up in 2022, which is still incredible. Well done. Thanks. I want to talk a little bit about its like the Better Future. What are the investing principles and criteria that sit underneath that fund?
1: Absolutely. It's um it's quite an intensive process. Um again, it's actively managed, so we've got a team that that Go through this process, it's not just a kind of a box-ticking exercise. Um, but mm-hmm. the Better Future Fund um, under the code IMPQ is designed to invest in like small and mid-sized Australian companies that are listed on the ASX that are working towards what we consider a better future. So we've got a whole list of criteria, but it's really about either either businesses that are working in industries that are actively I guess actively, more than 50% of their revenue is, is driven from business operations that are actively making, contributing to a positive future. So this is businesses that are, have positive social welfare outcomes, water treatment, energy efficiency, greenhouse gas reductions, education outcomes, really good governance frameworks, improved health outcomes, um, and all other kind of environmental outcomes you know, so this is the businesses where like their core business is, is kind of working toward those goals, but then also it invests in businesses that are just doing a lot better when it comes to ESG than their competitors. Um, so um, we measure that with like an, what we call an ESG and E score. So that it measures both environmental, social, Governance and engagement, um, and what we define as engagement is really about. Um, this comes down to the portfolio managers; like they take hundreds of meetings a year with potential customer companies that's to be that would form part yeah. of the portfolio, yeah. and they really um, measure and, and trying to understand the engagement that those companies have with them, and so that it's it's about a two way conversation about how they can improve their. ESG credentials, but and so that that engagement that. element,
0: yeah, wow. because it's it's so easy for companies, especially if they're not in carbon heavy industries, to go, yeah, we're doing great. You know, tech companies kind of have an easy go of it. Uh, whereas, I love it's also about are you doing more in your industry if you are in a heavy carbon industry or you you know you're in an industry which just happens to inevitably pollute you're just trying harder than everyone else i love esge that's so cool yeah so the e,
1: the e part is um you know heavily weighted in that scoring because i think it's a really mm. important Like it's, it's the defining plot. It's the most. How
0: willing are you to change?
1: Yeah, exactly. But I will be clear that like, regardless of all those elements, there's some stuff that just doesn't sit in the portfolio. So some stuff that will just never make it in there, like, you know, tobacco, alcohol armaments, um, thermal Mm. coal, uranium, gambling, pornography, pesticides, old growth forest logging, or anything like live export.
0: Mm. So there's some stuff
1: that we're just like, not cool not going to be yeah. in the portfolio. So there is like positive and negative screening for this. Absolutely. Month. I think this. Yeah. like, yeah, like I, I it's kind of, um, yeah, there's some stuff that we're just not going to get involved in and that's like what mm. I listed there. But then the rest of the world, it's about, you know, what, do you, what can this business do to contribute to a better future? And, um, again, that's hard to measure in numerical numbers. Yeah, and that's why having the portfolio managers there to really – Analyze it, but also like sift through the greenwashing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I can imagine some of those meetings would be
1: interesting. Yeah. But what's really cool is that they've developed a real reputation in the industry now that they're actually attracting um, companies. Companies will come to the portfolio management team going, look, we really want to be in your portfolio. What can we do better? And so it's becoming this really nice positive cycle. Um, yeah, so you, which you're actually awesome.
0: influencing companies to try and shift as well. So it's an element of kind of reciprocal governance. Like if you want to get into the fund, you're going to need to try, and which is an incredible way of influencing these companies to change. Because I think they're like, well, we want the money. We want to be on this fund and we want that exposure. How can we meet your requirements? So what a good way of putting a little bit yeah. of pressure on them.
1: And love it's that. And it's interesting. Oh, Back love to that portfolio of like how, like the areas that it focuses on. Remember that IMPQ only focuses on like small and mid-cap stocks. So it's not trying to go to BHP and be like, do better BHP because like that's not, that's not in the investment universe. getting the universe, pressure but, from elsewhere anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's not in the investment universe. But what's really interesting, these smaller companies that um, IMPQ focuses on, they are much usually much earlier in their growth cycle and that – um and they're much more amenable to those those conversations. And so it yeah. means that you can have even greater influence as portfolio mm. managers. So, again, it even, it's kind of jacks up the pressure, jacks up the um, acceleration of that positive cycle just because you're dealing with smaller companies that have that engagement level is a lot more meaningful and a lot more, um,
0: yeah, impactful. This is an awesome Feedback loop for those small to mid caps, and I love to see that the influence is clearly working. But let's get a little bit personal. Not what I am PQ is investing in, but tell me, what are you personally investing in, or what industries are you really curious about? Sure. Um, personally, I'm overweight
1: property right now um i've got it a- as every <laughs> sider <Sydney-sider> will agree <laughs> yep yeah. i feel you <laughs> how could uh, yeah it's you know someone who works in ETFs. i'm still overweight property i feel like it's just a symptom of being you know born and raised in sydney um but you know one of my key goals going forward is to kind of diversify more away from that i do mm-hmm. hold um etfs uh, particularly IMPQ um, uh-huh. you know it's my <laughs> favourite yeah oh how sweet so um, hold that there and in terms of industries my husband is in the renewable energy space mm-hmm. and I really love learning about that industry through him um, I think that the energy transition that we're going through right now is fascinating and mm-hmm. um You know, there's a lot of doom and gloom in terms of, like, what you read in the newspaper and all the politics and stuff. But the reality is, is that, um, you know, there's actually a lot of really interesting opportunities. And that's how I see kind of sustainability challenges, whether it's, you know, renewable energy and and energy transition, greenhouse gas reduction, um, even modern slavery, all of these issues. I see them. Like, the bigger the issue, whichever company or companies – can solve that issue they're going to make bang in my view yeah like I see that like like, these are huge challenges that our world is facing and whoever can solve them and 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 I'm not I'm not brushing over the fact that solving this stuff is tricky it's difficult it's long term and it's a bumpy road but whoever can do that are gonna do really well because it's such a huge
0: issue to solve absolutely and also it's a nice counterpoint from I think the like the media tends to focus on the the problems as opposed to how many startups, small and mid-caps even, are focusing on trying to solve the problem. And I love the focus on the opportunity because I think humans are a bit like diamonds and I think when we are under pressure, unfortunately we have to be under a significant amount of pressure, but when we are, really amazing things can happen and we're going to see, I think, in the next couple of years, so many exciting new solves and these companies as you say will flourish yeah if they can get it right and so um that for me that whole picture is what
1: really fascinates me and and that's where Mm. like going forward I want to focus even more on that um in my personal investing because I think that's really that's (sighs) that's most exciting to me
0: so that's a really good actually example and lead into my next question around how people can find investing resources or education around investing. I mean just reading the news is a great one. <laughs> Having a husband in a particular burgeoning industry is also a good one. But if people don't have a husband who happens to be in ESG, what's your recommendation for investing resources and like leveling up? They're investing.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I learn a lot from just reading the AFR. Like, uh, and what I like about that is it's it's kind of it's very live of the minute. Um yeah. And and I, I read a lot of the AFR. Definitely every day. Um, at eInvest, we're always pumping out um, interesting co- articles, and I write some, but also the portfolio managers write it. Um, you know, we've, we're very interested in sharing kind of how we're seeing the world. Um, mm. I, and, and I mean, I think the podcasting space, like, I mean, like what we're doing right now, podcasting is a great medium for talking about finance because you can get into mm. the, the, the nitty gritty a little bit more. Um, like it's funny yeah. cause you and I met on Instagram, but I don't think Instagram's the best place to talk about finance. Like it's really hard it's to talk about form. complex. Yeah. Fi- yeah. It's so short form. Mm. Um, yeah, I like the challenge of that too, but it's. I think actually podcasting's a better format for talking about it. Um, so format. good on you for so reading to podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, like that's Like that's how I kind of get my information. Um, and the reality is, is that a lot so of which my podcasts
0: or absolutely, who would you I really like. Um, I mean, I love the Economist's podcast. They do really great. Oh, I um, love the Economist podcast. Anyone else that you love? I love you. <laughs> oh my God, thank you. I mean, I was getting yep. a little bit, but like not that okay. much.
1: Um, I love this podcast. I also love Shares for Beginners. What Phil does, he's great. Oh, um so good. Have you have you listened to Shares for Beginners?
0: Yeah, I love Phil and Anna, and they d- have now started ETFs for beginners. Yes, exactly. Um, which I think is a great resource as well. Yeah, yeah. and so
1: they kind of—I mean—that's where I would go. In terms of kind of really, I also like reading a lot about impact investing, which is kind of ESG but on steroids. Um, it kind of where it's kind of like where ESG overlaps with philanthropy, and um, mm-hmm. impact investing is still pretty new in around the world. And uh, but it's something that I'm really interested in, so I'll read like industry mags about what they're doing. So um, there's a guy called John Treadgold who's got a, a interesting podcast about that specifically that kind of really narrows down onto ESG and impact investing. And, um, again, that's something that I love.
0: Love it. And another social media profile that I love is eInvest. I love doing the quizzes. I get really excited about getting all the answers correct. I'm so glad. The
1: the quizzes are the highlight um, of my Friday. I sometimes have trouble working out, what am I going to ask everyone this week?
0: (laughs) How can people find eInvest? On what platforms yeah, sure. are you on?
1: We're on um, we're on Instagram, of course. So it's under the tag eInvestAU, AU. Twitter, same tag. Um, we do have a YouTube channel. If you if you like YouTube, um, we, we're not super active on there, but um, you know there is information on there that we. Like, what people don't realise is that we actually interview the portfolio managers every month. Um, about what's happening in their portfolios, what's changing, how it's performed. And so those videos end up on YouTube but also on our website. And that's, like, one of the cool privileges of my job is that I get to talk to these smart people and ask them what's going on every month. And so um, if people want to see what I actually Um, look like and how, like, am I as cringe on video as I am on a podcast, the YouTube channel is really good for that. Um, We're on Facebook as well. I haven't gone down the TikTok route yet. I'm a bit nervous about TikTok.
0: You'll have to join me and you can come back and talk all about the trials and tribulations I'm- of TikTok. But I'm- in the interim, people can find eInvest on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. And I have to say I have my personal favourite is on Instagram because we get to see your face a lot of the time. Thank you so much for coming on Big Swinging Stocks. I think I love talking about actives because it just feels like a counterpoint to the whole industry. So what a privilege. Thanks so much, Jody. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure. Always happy to chat about it. People can catch eInvest on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. And I have to say personal favourite Instagram because we get to see your beautiful face. Thanks for coming on the show, Jodie. Thank you for having me. This has been
1: real fun.